Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played coached and managed in pro ball so we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast so let's talk some baseball with your hosts here they are the skipper Kevin Kennedy and Rich Herrera welcome everybody to America's Best Baseball Podcast Kevin Kennedy Rich Herrera Kevin's been on the road I've been on the road but it's time to talk baseball with you thanks so much for joining us Skip Let's get right to it. The American League playoffs, well, they're all set. Boston, Cleveland, Houston, wildcard Yankees, and Oakland. Anybody can win the American League pennant, I think, Skip. Yeah, pretty well balanced in the American League of the uh, good teams. And it seems like the American League was settled uh, by the all-star break. At least you knew who the final six or seven teams were. But the National League is totally the opposite. It's going right down to the wire. and it's It's a lot of fun this time of year. I love it when it when it's close. But uh, get back to the American League for just a second. Just because you have the best record in baseball, we've seen this before. I remember the Seattle Mariners when they won uh, 116 games and they got knocked out in the first round by the New York Yankees. So it's a whole new ball game once you play in October. All right, let's talk a little bit about this ball club. Kimbrell is ready. He sets. The 2-2. Swing and a miss, strike three. The Red Sox have won the American League's Eastern Division Championship for the third straight year. For the first time in Red Sox history, they have finished in first place in three consecutive seasons. They beat the Yankees 11-6, and for the second time in three years, they clinch on the Yankees' home field. Skip, your former ball club, the Boston Red Sox, highlight courtesy of the Boston Red Sox Radio Network. You've been at Fenway Park. You've sat in that manager's seat. The core is in right now. They've won more games than they ever have. I mean, this is record-setting stuff for the Boston Red Sox. Tell me why they won't win the World Series. Uh, I don't know that they won't. It's a tough argument for me to say that they won't win the World Series. But what I will say is that I wish the first round um, in baseball, and I've said this for years, was best out of seven because anything can happen at a best out of five. Um, I think the best out of seven gets a truer version of who the best team really is, just like the Dodgers and Astros last year. Uh, That World Series deserved to go seven games. And I think for the Boston Red Sox, what happens in a best out of five, Rich, is it makes game one almost a must-win type game because, you know, you, you got home field advantage throughout the playoffs. You're supposed to win. You're expected to win. And if uh, whoever wins the wild card game is going to play the Red Sox, okay, so it's Oakland or New York, uh, if they win that first game in Fenway Park and come out of there with a split, boy, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, especially if you could knock off Chris Sale. So 
Um, that's really why for me that they, they may not win. It just depends, I think, on what happens in best out of five. I think if, when it goes best out of seven, if they get to the LCS, I think they go to the World Series. Is the, the urgency turned up more on that best of five? Yeah, it is. Absolutely it is. Um, I, I th- Really, because you know when, when you lose that first game, if you lose that first game, and I, I experienced that when we played Cleveland in 1995. We went and played, a, I think it was 13 innings. Uh, my memory as the years go on, I get uh, jogged a little bit where I can't remember if it was 13 or 14, but it was a long game. We finally took the lead. Uh, we had a couple different leads in that game one, as a matter of fact. Um, Clemens pitched uh, into the seventh inning. We had a two nothing lead. They tied it and went ahead in the bottom of the seventh inning. We tied it in the eighth inning with a Luis Alasea home run, and then we went ahead. I think in the top of the maybe the twelfth, Tim Naring hit a home run down the left field line. We were in Cleveland, which was an impossible place to play in those days um, when Jacobs Field, as they called it, was sold out for almost a decade. I mean, the fans were loud. It was a crazy place. It was, I mean, it was fun from a baseball standpoint, but um, it was it was tough because the fans definitely were like the extra man. But yet we played them well throughout the course of the year. We won six out of the 13 games we played them. But uh, if we had won that first game, I truly feel the, the, uh, the series would have been different. But they end up tying it in the bottom of the 12th. Albert Bell hit a home run. And then uh, Tony Pena, of all people, takes a 3-0 and pitch. He's supposed to take. Mike Harger put the take sign on. He hits a home run off of Zane Smith. We lose that game. So that was a tough one to recover from. So now game two becomes an absolute must win because with great teams, and we were a great team that year, and so were the Cleveland Indians, it's tough to come back and, and win you know three in a row. Now, stranger things have happened. And the Red Sox of all teams would be the one to say, listen, we, we came back and won four straight against the Yankees when we won that World Series the first time, what was it, 04, the first time in 86 years. So it's it's happened before, but, Rich, it just doesn't happen very often, especially if you're playing uh, really good teams. And the American League has five really, really front-line teams, and when you break them down, uh, there's not too many weaknesses on any of, any of those teams. Well, one of the other teams, Skip, that I wanted to talk about was the Houston Astros, the other team with 100-plus wins. Let's take a listen. Last hope for the Blue Jays is Dwight Smith Jr., who's one for three with a double, and he lifts this one out to center. It backs up Marisnik, still going back onto the warning track, makes the catch two steps shy of the wall, and that is the ball game. The Houston Astros lower their magic number to one as they win their fifth in a row, defeating the Toronto Blue Jays tonight by a final of 4-1. to one. And that's 100 wins now for the second season in a row for the Astros. Remarkable. Highlight courtesy of the Astros Radio Network. Skip, A.J. Hinch's bunch, their defending champions, got off to the slow start, came around, and they end up with 100 wins. Yeah, they, you know, they, they had uh, some guys banged up all at the same time. They had their core guys hurt. Altuve was hurt for quite a while there. Correa um, has had the back problem really most of the year, especially the second half, and he's back in the lineup uh, I see today. But he's not had a good year. He's hitting 238 coming into today's games. Um, I believe they've got a doubleheader as we as we speak. And um, that's, that's a guy that's really a key to their lineup. He was huge in the postseason last year. He was huge in the World Series. George Springer was out of this world in the World Series. Altuve is Altuve. And so the core of your lineup in the, in the playoffs has to be – 
the core. They have to be the guys that lead the way. Now, a lot of times in the playoffs, you'll see a guy that you don't expect to step up. I remember Mark Lemke, Lemke for the Braves many years ago, um, stepping up in the postseason and when the Braves uh, ended up winning in 1995. He had a big postseason. Um, you saw Charlie Culberson with the Dodgers step up and hit 500 when Seager was out, especially in the LCS. Yeah, you saw him step up. And, and by the way, he may be playing shortstop because Swanson got hurt with a ligament issue, and he's been big for the Braves this year. But there's always that one guy that, that you don't expect to really step up, and he ends up having a big postseason. But by and large, Rich, my feeling is your main guys have to carry you. And, and just for a moment, when we played Cleveland, the Red Sox played Cleveland in 1995, my main guys were Jose Canseco and Mo Vaughn. Mo Vaughn was the MVP. They went 0 for 26 combined, mm. and we lo- and we lost all three games. Mo Vaughn, I think, struck out eight times in 13 at bats. He was a different hitter in the postseason. Was he pressing? Absolutely, he was hitting, uh, swinging at pitches that were bouncing. I mean, they were bouncing changeups and split fingered fastballs and curveballs, throwing 58 footers. He was chasing it and he was pressing. And a year or two later, when I became a broadcaster, I said, "Mo, thanks for making me a broadcaster. You and Tony Pena." Uh, laughing, of course. I was teasing him. I said, why are you a different player now? This is an interview, by the way. And I knew what he was going to say. He said, Kevin, I, I let the game finally come to me. After that first playoff, I was pressing. I knew, you know, I was the MVP. It was between me and Albert Bell. I turned it, I turned out getting that award, of course. But I knew I was the main guy. He had 39 home runs that year. He had 300 on the nose. He drove in 130-some-odd runs. And he knew he had to carry the club, but we were a deep lineup. We had hitters one through eight. And in that playoff, that best of five, Alisea, my number eight hitter, hit 483, I believe it was. And he had the tying home run in the eighth inning that pushed that game into extra innings, 3-3. So, again, it's a guy like that that steps up. But if my core guys had hit, you know, I believe we would have won won the uh, playoffs for the Cleveland Indians. Their core guys hit. Right. In that, in that game, uh, Albert Bell, who hit 50-some-odd home runs that year, he tied the game up against my closer, Rick Aguilera, in the 12th inning. And Jim Tomey against Tim Wakefield in the last game, game three, at Fenway Park, he had a big, I think it was a three-run home run off the knuckleball. So their main guys stepped up. And in game two, Eddie Murray well, hit wait the Wait a second. Let me ask you. Did they step up or did they just – not let the moment overwhelm them. That's why I think looking what the Houston Astros did last year was so remarkable because for a bunch of young guys, they didn't let the moment overtake them. Well, I think it's more about that. I think Eddie Murray was Eddie Murray. Jim Tomey was Jim Tomey. And Albert Bell just did what he did all year. He got a hang and split, and he hit it out. That's what he did all year. They didn't let the moment get too big. Mo Vaughn let the moment get big. Now, for Conseco, who had been in the World Series obviously before, um, a couple of times he hit the ball hard I can remember seven or eight line drives to the outfield they defensed us well um, he had a tough series not because he was pressing he just hit the ball hard at people so I, I I put him aside but our main guy the MVP of the league that year completely was pressing and he was a different guy because the rest of my lineup narrowing at a home run in that series Green, Greenwell had a couple of hits a veteran guy like I said uh, my pitching stepped up. Clemens pitched great like he was supposed to, but unfortunately, I don't want to put it all on Mo. but, you know, that was my three-hitter. Well, that, uh, was the guy three. Who was, that was the guy who was yeah. supposed to drive in the runs. That was the guy who was supposed to drive him in, and unfortunately, he had a bad postseason. And years later, with the Red Sox, before he went on to the Angels and signed that big contract, 
Uh, he had a couple of playoff years where you couldn't get him out. He was hitting a couple of home runs a game. I remember against the Indians, as a matter of fact, a couple of years later, he had two home runs in one game, and they, they beat, uh, I believe it was Doc Gooden in that, in that particular game. Um, it, it was just a different move on and because he let the game come to him, and now he had been used to it. So that's what you see in September. And I think, quite frankly, that's what's happened to teams like the Arizona Diamondbacks here in the second half, mm-hmm. let alone September. Um, I saw them fold, and I've said this many times about them. People thought the D-backs were going to win the division going away because for 80% of the season they were in first place. And I said, wait till September. That bullpen has been awful, and including against the Dodgers just a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Um, they won the first game, but they lost the next three, and that's why they got knocked out. Their bullpen gave it up twice to Matt Kemp, Archie Bradley, a home run one time, a game winner for Matt Kemp, and the next time he came in the next night, used him again in the eighth inning, and Matt Kemp hit a triple off the wall and and beat Archie Bradley. So um, there's just certain teams that um, don't play well in September, and even though they were a wild card team last year, you know the Dodgers swept them in the postseason a year ago too. I just didn't think they were deep enough, but um, you're seeing other teams right now, you know, push the button on. Look at the Philadelphia Phillies. How they just folded in August. You know, were they good enough to win the division? Yeah, for four months they were. But, Rich, we play 162. And the Atlanta Braves, their young talent stepped up. And their veteran guys did what their veteran guys are supposed to do, mainly Freeman and Marquecas hitting 300 all year. I'm going to get over to the National League in just a second. But, but Skip, I'm never going to pick against the Oakland A's. I think we've established that the Yankees are the Yankees. But I am not going to sleep on this team. The 0-1. A swing and a long drive to deep right, away, back and gone! Well, the bunt didn't stay fair. That's the best news of the day. 1-0 Indians on Lindor's 35th home run. San Francisco Lindor, who before the game today was modeling different goggles for the champagne celebration. Frankie had a feeling. Highlight courtesy of the Cleveland Indians radio network. Skip, I'm never going to pick against Oakland, the Yankees. I said that, but listen, the Cleveland Indians are my sleeper, and I think that's the team that's going to win the pennant. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't sleep on any of those teams, to be honest with you. I mean, any of these five teams obviously can get there. Um, but the Cleveland Indians are a team that didn't have to battle that hard until they found out that the Minnesota Twins, the first two months, were right there with them, and everybody thought the Indians would get off to a great start and just blow the division away. Well, later on in the summer, they did blow the division away, but again, not too many people are picking them. They're picking the Astros. Most people are picking the Astros. It's a sexy pick. Or the Red Sox. Yeah, or the Red Sox. And obviously, the Astros are a, a phenomenal team. They've upgraded themselves, getting Garrett Cole. They've got a great rotation. We know that. They've got uh, a great lineup, and they've been there before, and they and that's going to come into play a little bit, as we just talked about. The Red Sox, I mean, they're just deep. They're just a deep ball club, great rotation. David Price has pitched well. Um, so there's not too He's many. rebounded. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't even say there's any holes there, although, you know, David Price has been a guy a little bit like Clayton Kershaw who hasn't, you know, just been lights out. In the postseason, Kershaw's had some good games, and then he's had some rough games. Um, Price is kind of the same way, and you, you can't have any rough games if you want to go really to the World Series and win the World Series. So we'll see what happens. But the Cleveland Indians, I think, made a, a couple of points about the Indians. 
Number one, they've been there before just a couple of years ago. Almost won it. Could have won it. Uh, there was a little fortune going Joe Madden and the Cubs' way, I think, when they did win it in Cleveland a couple of years ago. But number two, you've got the rotation uh, with Carrasco and Kluber doing – I mean, they were phenomenal. When they're on, they're going to stop good hitting, but they have to be on. Kluber has to be on his game, and Carrasco does as well. The other thing about the Cleveland Indians is they went out and upgraded their bullpen, something that Terry Francona and the Indians did a couple of years ago when they got Miller, Andrew Miller. Right. So, yeah, I mean, Brad Hand is a, is a bona fide closer. You know down there in San Diego, you yeah. see him, saw him every day. He's a little bit unorthodox with his delivery, but, I mean, you got a closer um, that can pitch in the seventh inning and, and give you a couple of innings, and maybe he pitches in the sixth inning. Who knows? Terry might use him the same way like they did a couple of years ago with uh, with Miller. We'll see. So that was a good move, getting Brad Hand and Simbers, not bad either. And that was a nice pickup trade from San Diego. But also, is I think the sleeper there is is Brantley, uh, Michael Brantley. Because he's a bona fide 300 hitter. He hits left-handers. He stays in there. He's got power. He hits to all fields. He's a good defender. He can play anywhere in the outfield. And not too many people are talking about him. He's been hurt the last couple of years. It's almost Hasn't like he, really... the people forgot about him. Yeah, they forgot about him because obviously of Lindor and Ramirez, and then you've got Encarnacion, and you know you've got uh, Kipnis that people talked about, and of course Chisenhall hasn't been uh, been there. It's different now with Chisenhall. That, I mean, he was a guy I was talked about a couple of years ago, but now the guy is Brantley. He's the X factor for me. He hits two behind Lindor. He's had a great year. As I said, he hits both lefties and righties. He's a good defender. And people may have forgotten a few years ago, he was in a finalist for top three of MVP in the American League. He didn't win it, but he was in the top three. That's how good of a player he is. And I remember his dad, uh, Mickey Brantley. Uh, he was a great hitter. His dad was a, a right-handed hitter. Of course, Michael is a left-handed hitter, but uh, Mickey Brantley was a, uh, was a great, great hitter that uh, didn't get enough time in the big leagues, but I saw him a lot in AAA, so he's got the good genes in him, too. I, I've been, I just brainlocked for half a second. I, I heard you talk about it. I saw his father. I've been writing a bunch of NFL stories. I thought you were going to start talking about Patrick Mahomes and Pat Mahomes, whose son is uh, tearing it up in, in the NFL right now. No, 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 I'm not. <laughs> did no, you it, did, did, You saw that, right, that like this kid is just amazing and his dad was a big league pitcher? Yeah, his dad pitched for me a little bit. Uh, I, think we I had thought him in, so. In Boston, yeah. Uh, he, he pitched in a lot of different places, but – uh, we had him a little bit in Boston there one year. 90, I think it was 96. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know, Skip. How does it make you feel like when you see this guy, his son is now playing? And we talked about Pudge Rodriguez. I mean, you're starting to see these generations turn over of guys that you had when they were babies. Well, Derek Rodriguez, for example, he's going to pitch game two against the Dodgers in San Francisco. And Bumgarner <sighs> is going to pitch game one. Okay. That's right. uh over the weekend, and that, those are going to be big games because the Dodgers have not clinched, and they're not going to clinch because the Rockies are only half a game out. They have five to play. The Dodgers have four to play. But when I see Derek Rodriguez, I remember meeting Pudge when I got the Texas Rangers job. I flew to Puerto Rico with Sandy Johnson and Omar Minaya, and we had dinner with Pudge, and I, I, I met his wife at the time, Isabel. He's no longer married to Isabel, but she was a nice lady. And um, I, I was introduced to his new son, 
uh, Derek, who was about, uh, I don't know if he was eight months old or nine months oh, old. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's how it makes me feel. And no, I'm not going to say it makes me feel old. It just makes me feel um, proud that. Uh, yeah, appreciative. Uh, yeah, I had a chance to meet Pudge's family at, at the very beginning, especially Derek. And Derek wouldn't know me at all. I haven't seen him since. Um, I, around the clubhouse, obviously, I was only there with Texas a couple of years. So he wouldn't remember, but I haven't met him since he's been an adult. And um, perhaps next year I'll get a chance to. I'm not going to be in San Francisco this weekend. I was going to try to, but um, to see him pitch. And, you know, he came up uh, not as a pitcher. I mean, he was, you know, first going to be a catcher. And I believe it was Minnesota that that drafted him originally. He's from Puerto Rico, obviously. Um, But Pudge, one thing that Pudge taught him, and I can see this in him, is good mechanics. A good delivery. He throws right over the top. He's got good good uh, use of the lower half of his body. He drives. He's not crossover. No, no. And he's not afraid to throw. And I think he got this from Pudge. He's got to throw his secondary stuff in hitters' counts, and he can do that. That's why he's got a chance to make it difficult on the Dodgers in, on Saturday in San Francisco. And you know they're going to try to knock the Dodgers out completely. Oh, so is it, is it is it any does it get any better than? The, the how tight it is in the West and the wild card and all the rest of that. Giants are out of it. They have nothing to play for, but they are going to come out like wildcats this weekend against the Dodgers simply because they don't want to see them celebrate at AT&T Park. Well, that's absolutely right. Uh, and I heard Rob Brenly the other night say, uh, actually, he said this because the Rockies had won their game um, the first night. Uh, this week on, on Monday, and then the Dodgers also won. But because the Rockies won their game, that meant the Dodgers couldn't clinch and, and get in the swimming pools, what Bob Brenly said, no matter what happened the next two games, even <laughs> even if Arizona got swept. But what happened last night was Arizona had a tough battle, but they ended up winning the game. Escobar hit a home run off of Maeda, and uh, they ended up winning the game on a walk-off home run. And so they won. Uh, Arizona won, and what that did, because Colorado had already won their second game against the Phillies, that put Colorado only a half a game back. So tonight, Wednesday night here, you've got the Rockies playing an hour before the Dodgers play Arizona, and if they beat the Phillies again, as the Dodgers start their game tonight, they may find out that they're tied for first place, and it Mm. makes this game a must-win game. And then, of course, the Dodgers are idle on Thursday as they fly to San Francisco, and the Phillies play Game Four against the uh, the Rockies, and the Rockies, of course, are trying to going to try to sweep them. <laughs> but first things first, they've got to win the next two. But let's say they do. Let's say the Dodgers win tonight, and let's say uh, Colorado wins tonight, and, and the Rockies are only half a game out. And let's say tomorrow, the Rockies win, and now they're even, identical records going into the weekend. Uh, well, Washington comes into town to play Colorado for three. And my understanding right now is that Scherzer's not going to pitch. Now, that may change. I don't know. Um, but Davey Martinez may change it. I have to see exactly where Scherzer is at. But that's what I heard last he, night. But he's got to pitch. You, I mean, you have to throw your best out there for yeah. the integrity of the game because it's so close. Yeah, I think so because um, I, I, I know tonight he didn't pitch. I looked at the line tonight. So, I, you know, maybe he pitches the last game of the season. Oh. Um, there's, there's a lot riding on it um, for the – for the integrity of the game, let's just put it that way, because you want to put your best out there. And I'd also heard last night that Bumgarner wasn't going to pitch against the Dodgers, but Rick Monday just texted me about an hour ago, and then we then he called me. He said, 
Here's the here's the rotation for the Giants. I got it from the Giants people. <laughs> Bumgarner's pitching Friday night. Uh, he's pitching game one. I think that's against Kershaw. And then game two will be uh, Bueller against uh, Derek Rodriguez. And then game three will be the lefty Suarez. So they're throwing two lefties. <laughs> I and, wouldn't be surprised if Bumgarner comes back and pitches on Sunday. Well, he may pitch in relief, and so may Kershaw. It may come down to that. So that's going to oh. be a tough series for the Dodgers. And one thing that the Giants do have, if they are tied, let's say, going into the weekend, is they got a good bullpen. They got mm-hmm. a much better bullpen than Arizona. Arizona turned out to have the worst bullpen in baseball in the second half, and Arizona blew a lot of games. And I mean, even last week at Dodgers Stadium, they blew games in the eighth and ninth inning. Even yesterday, Boxberger came in with a one-run lead. They used him as a closer again after shutting him down and putting him in the seventh inning. And he gave it up right away. First two batters, base hit, double, the game's tied. Fortunately for him, he got out of it, and Muncie almost hit a two-run home run on a changeup, but he got out of it. And then in the bottom of the ninth inning, Escobar leads off, and he gets a fastball on a 3-2 count in, into his wheelhouse, left-handed hitting, more power from the left side. He's got 18 of his 23 home runs now from the left side, which was a shock to me why Maeda went in with a fastball, and he turned on it and hit the game-winning home run. Rocky Gale was catching, and this kid hasn't been in the big leagues but a minute, and that's the first inning that he was going to catch in the big leagues. And um, so I'm not blaming it on him because Maeda has to take control of that, but I was surprised that he went into the wheelhouse. Normally you stay away from the power side and pitch him away or throw the backdoor cutter or throw a changeup. His changeup's outstanding, but he had thrown him four fastballs in that sequence, and Escobar was on every one of them, and then when it was three and two, I saw the little pinky finger put down by Gale, which means that's a fastball in when you do that to a left-hander Right up there. Um, if you put the index finger down, that means you want the fastball away. If you put the pinky finger down, that means you want the fastball in uh, from a right-handed pitcher. And my head threw a fastball in, and it didn't get to the glove. It got to the seats in a hurry. And that was a huge, huge win for the D-backs and a crushing loss for the Dodgers. So um, they they roll that off their backs. They let it roll off their backs pretty easily normally, and they're so deep. But, listen, the Rockies have won five straight. After getting swept at Dodger Stadium a week ago, they went and swept Arizona three straight, and now they've won the first two against Philadelphia. They've gotten themselves right back, not only in the wild card race, but in a chance to win the division. So does Milwaukee, by the way, which is interesting, too, against the Cubs. So the National League, is is a lot of fun to watch right now. And Atlanta, even though they've already clinched the East, they want to have the best record, at least over the Dodgers. Let's say the Dodgers win the division in the West, and let's say the Cubs have the best record. They would play the wild card. Well, the Dodgers would play Atlanta, and if Atlanta doesn't have a better record than the Dodgers, then they have to open up at Dodger Stadium mm. in the best of five. So they have something to play for, too, at this point of the year. So um, the National League West is just outstanding right now, going down to the final weekend. When I become president of the world, I'm going to pass a law. The Giants and the Dodgers have to play the last three games of the season forever. I agree with you, and I think it's just like the Yankees and Red Sox, and I I guess really for the Cubs and and Cardinals, those are three best rivalries in baseball. I totally agree, and and it was fun, and I, I liked it. I knew in Boston... First thing I did when we got the schedules, I would always look at the end of the season. I was always look at September. Yeah, I and, do too. Yeah, and you know, you, you knew you were playing the Yankees um, there and in back in Boston the last ten days of the season with with one team in between, um, and you knew that you're going to see them probably seven times in the last ten days. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. Let the teams go head to head. 
and and fight it out. Um, now the Giants, of course, are out of it this year, but that doesn't mean they're not going to be playing hard and try to knock the Dodgers out because everybody's trying to knock the Dodgers out. The Dodgers win the division, Rich. It'll be their sixth straight year of winning the National League West. You know, what's it like when you're around that Dodger ball club that everybody roots against you? You're like Notre Dame or the IRS. Nobody wants you to win. Uh, They get fired up by it. Dodgers carry well in Arizona. Half of the fans in Arizona right now are Dodger fans because it's so close to L.A. The Dodger uh, fans get their tickets. There's a group called uh, Pantone. Um, was it? I forget the number now. Three ninety four. It's it's the color. <laughs> the color is the actual Dodger of, Do- of Dodger blue. It's a Dodger blue. What the true color is, and I forgive me for not knowing the name. Uh, it's Pantone and the number behind it. And I can't remember. It's three ninety four. I'm just thinking off the top of my head because uh, I never know what I'm going to say. Sometimes I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. So, I'm sure somebody's going to tweet to us and say, "Skip, this is the number. Come on, you I should know, be bleeding gonna, that." They're, they're going to be mad at me too. I mean, I could. I, we could stop and look it up, but I'm just going to roll with did it. I, but did any, I tell you anyway. I got in trouble for that? I I, I got this. Uh, I have this great barbecue in my yeah. backyard, and I painted. And I so I bought some um, those big wooden spools that, that uh, copper wire comes on. You know, the industrial size. Yeah. And I yeah. painted it, and I painted the top to look like a baseball with seams. And I went and got blue, and I got the wrong color blue, and it's Dodger blue, and nobody in my oh, family has man. nobody in my family has let me uh, live it down. Oh yeah, no, there's a there's a no, it's Pantone two ninety four. Oh, two ninety four. Okay, two ninety four, um, and I knew it was something close to ninety four. <laughs> I just didn't remember it was two, two or three. Uh, but 294. Pantone, yeah, Pantone two ninety four. They travel to a lot of the Dodger games as a group. I mean, they'll That's take a bus. Cool. Or a cup. It's very cool. So I'm sorry, Pantone two ninety four. I was two out of three. I got it close. So <laughs> that's a series. Well, you win a series, you go to the World hey, Series. Hey, uh, Joe Madden says if I can meet Luff, you two out of three ain't bad. That's that's exactly right. So um, that is the actual the and the, and the name of that. Why um, that is two ninety four is because that is the actual code number of of the Dodger blue color. That's that's a true and, and the code of colors. <laughs> Right. That's what it. That's what it is when you look up Dodger blue. So, so Rich, you of all people, being a Giant fan all your life, you can't make a mistake on blue. No, oh no, my brother's you, not. You, yeah, you shouldn't be involved in any kind of blue. No, my brother, <laughs> my brother, my brother is not letting me live it down one iota. You know, the other part of this is if you're a a Giant or Dodger, let's see, um, Dodger Stadium. I'm trying to remember the year. I think it was Solomon Torres started the final game of the season. That just, was 1993. 1993. Was it Solomon Torres who started that game? Yes, it was. And yep. he got yep. lit up yep. awful. Again, yep, against the Dodgers. And I remember that because Dusty Baker's ball club, Dusty told me the next year, it was his rookie year managing, and yeah. it was mine. And I, I've, of course, have always liked Dusty. been fairly close to him over the years. And I Great remember guy. him telling me the next year that um, that's all he had left to start. Yeah. And uh, nothing he could do. And I believe they won. I think the Braves, of course, won. I think they won a, uh, again. I don't know if the. Um, I know they won their division, but I think the Braves had a better record than the Giants. They but did. nonetheless. And, then, um, and that the was Gi- your friend. The Giants, Freddie McGriff went over there, and Fulton County Stadium caught on fire, and yeah, everything yeah. went right for the Braves. And I still blame Fred for that. Yeah, it was '93, but um, the point being. Um, the wild card wasn't in yet in '93, right. so the Giants had a hundred and was it a hundred and two wins or hundred and three? And went home. You should 
You should know that one. Yeah, I'm I, not gonna I, look, I don't, I'm not I don't gonna like that my, one. Up. I remember the bar I was standing at, and I remember sitting on the floor uh, just completely uh, deflated and, and dejected in the second inning. But, you know, the, again, with the Giants and the Dodgers. Didn't Piazza take him deep? He and did. Everybody oh, else? Caros, yeah, yeah. Piazza. I mean, they were having the, the, the bat boys were hitting, getting base hits against him. But there's there's also been like, you know, little Joe Morgan. Little Joe Morgan had a, 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 a big knock to knock the Dodgers out of the playoffs. And my grandmother loved little Joe for that. So oh, there yeah. are legends that are going to be made this weekend with the Giants and the Dodgers. Hey, before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you a couple things. Speaking of the Giants, Bobby Evans, their general manager, out. Wanted to get your thoughts. Well, reading up on it the last few days, I understand it. I get it. They've had a couple of uh, really tough years. Um, even when they won, um, what, in 16, they were a wild card team. As I said, the Dodgers have won the division six years six in times, a row. Yeah. So the, the Giants have won the World Series um, when they've been a wild card team a couple of times. So they want to win the West is what they want to do. Teams want to win the West, Arizona, Colorado. Uh, they want to win the West and knock the Dodgers off, not just for the playoffs, not for just for the wild card. They want to, they want to beat them in the division. And I, I think, you know, for Bobby Evans, he's been part of that group with Brian Sabian, of course, and, and then, of course, Bruce Boshi down on the field. Bochi and, and Sabian, of course, are going to be back. Bruce has one more year in his contract. Beyond that, who knows? But what I read, uh, Larry Bear, they're going to hire a couple of different people. It's similar to what the Dodgers have done. There's going to be a president of baseball ops, and there's going to be a general manager. And I think what they're going to do is similar to what the Dodgers have done and what Tampa Bay has done and, and Joe Madden has done and the Cubs have done uh, with uh, Jed Hoyer and, and Theo Epstein, Stepstein is, is um, have a president of baseball ops and then a G GM and make it a two-man job, basically, with everything going through. Uh, like the Cubs, it's going through Theo, but well, with the um, and then of course ownership, but with the Giants, it's going to be going through Larry Bear. They're going to report to Larry Bear, mm. so they're going to use. I, I can tell you right now, they're going to use a lot more analytics, just like oh, the absolutely. Dodgers do. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they I mean, they shift as it is. It's not that Bruce doesn't buy into that. They shift a lot on different guys, but I, I can see their ball club really being an analytical team and and over shifting in the outfield. When you watch the Dodgers right now, Rich, there will be games, and you may have heard some that Rick and I have done together. Uh, we will describe the outfield, and there are times that Matt Kemp <laughs> or, or Yasiel Puig will be about 120 feet off the foul line in right field. I mean, he'll be literally beyond second base. I mean, if a guy pulled one down the right field line and he had any speed, it's an inside-the-park home run. That's not a double. But that's how much the Dodgers buy into the analytics, both in the infield and in the outfield. And so I can see the Giants now doing a little bit more of that with whoever they do hire. They're going to hire a couple people and maybe more yeah. in, the, in the front office. So, uh, you know that you know that organization, though, Rich. Um, how deep in analytics have they have they not bought into it a little bit? They bought into not? a little bit, but they haven't for the for the Giants, and that's why it's interesting when you look at who the Giants' trading partners are. Um, they're, they have a, a very finite Tampa set, Tampa Bay, because Tampa Bay looks for things the Giants don't. So Tampa Bay so analytic-driven, they can go out there and find that arbitrage. How about that word, that arbitrage, which means yeah. something uh, that's undervalued because the Giants don't use the same 
uh, metric to evaluate talent. So same I think algorithm. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So I think the Gi- I think the Giants will go back into that, and you know, we both, you know, Larry, and I know Larry Bear quite well. Um, you're going to see uh, some really, really bright people, and and again, the front office. The front office has enveloped the the manager's office, and it used to be, you know, the manager ran the ball club, and he told the general manager who he wanted. Now, the manager is actually part of the baseball operations department, and there really is no line between the two anymore. Yeah, that's that's exactly what what's happened in L.A. There's no doubt about it. The front office actually will, will give a lot of managers a lineup to choose from, a couple different lineups to choose from. Um I'm just speaking in general when I say that. I'm not talking about the Dodgers necessarily. I'm just talking to a lot right. of teams I know. Well, I, I've, seen, I've seen clubs before where, you know what, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring down that big book and we're going to look through it and I'm going to tell you, here's here's who's hot against who and here's who we think will do well. And, and you know, I, I guess, and we and again, people accuse us of being uh, fuddy-duddies and not liking analytics. I like analytics. You like analytics. But I still, again, will agree with you, Kevin, that analytics isn't the end-all and be-all. It's just part of it. Well, um, you just said who's hot and who's not. That's what some teams don't do. They look at, at the overall numbers of a guy against a pitcher that may be old from from his whole career and say, oh, okay, then he's in the lineup. He's not. I mean, Yasiel Puig is a great example. When Yasiel Puig uh, hit five home runs in two days in St. Louis, I mean, he sits against lefties because his batting average against lefties hasn't been good yet. What did he do when he came off the bench the other well, day? Uh, he came off and hit hit one off a lefty, and he ends up winning the game. And he comes up and he gets a base hit off a lefty pinch hitting. So you have to use the eye test too. Right. And the Dodgers, I, I completely least, agree. And they have at least done that well, lately it, with Yasiel Puig. And Kevin, the thing is, is it's not necessarily Yasiel Puig versus left-handers or Yasiel Puig versus this pitcher or that pitcher. It's the composite Yasiel Puig of everybody who has. A, a stance similar to Yasiel and bat speed and exit velocity and all, all these little numbers that you hear in a game, I, and I think they're all stupid. I don't care what the exit they're velocity a lot, is. They're a, they're a lot deeper than and people know. Yeah, it's not just the batting average, actually, that people look at. You're absolutely right. In fact, a lot of analytic people don't even believe in batting average, so you're absolutely right about that. Right, but- so I take I take a little piece <laughs> of this, and, and here's where I think it's the disservice because now we hear exit velocity and we hear this and we hear that. Those by themselves are just a piece of the a, a, a piece of the the mosaic. It's a it's one little piece of the mosaic that I put together to put to, that I put together to get the analytics. So if I take Yasiel Puig's bat speed and his angle and the launch angle and then right. this and that launch angle by itself doesn't mean squat. Exavasi by itself does not mean squat. When I put it all together in algorithm, then I build a composite Yasiel Puig to see how he does against this composite left-handed pitcher. Well, I'll give you an example of what happened last night. Cody Bellinger uh, cooked through a ball inside. He's gotten uh, Cody got him in back in May for a home run. He had two strikes on him, and he tried to get him inside. And normally that's a pitch that you see uh, Bellinger drop his back shoulder and really uppercut. He didn't do that. He got his hands inside the baseball. It was a short, compact swing. He swung through the ball, and he had a home run as far as he ever hits him. And, and it was the first run of the game yesterday. And I thought to myself when I saw that, I said, wow, if he does that time and time again, he's not only going to hit 39 home runs again sometime at some point in time, 
um, he's going to be a 300 hitter. And guess Jack what he did? Peterson. Guess what he did? He defeated the algorithm because they didn't have a swing path like that. So what he did yesterday was completely against what the algorithm predicted exactly. would happen. Exactly. And for example, when I watch Arizona um, defense against Max Muncie, for example, well, Max Muncie will go the other way. So will Utley. So will Jock Peterson. And they're still playing three guys on the right side. And I don't understand why their algorithms are different than St. Louis or somebody else. I don't. Everybody I don't has get... everybody has their own secret sauce. Uh, and you know what? Max Muncie went the other the other way and uh, and beat him. He tied. They tied the game because because again, the bullpen of Arizona Monday night blew it. They had a lead and they blew it. And Muncie comes off the bench and goes the opposite field, lefty on lefty, boom, base hit. And uh, that was off of Chafin. Chafin walks the first guy, which he does a lot. And then here comes Muncie, boom, base hit. And the Dodgers end up. And he goes the other way doing it, by the way. So nobody's on the left side of the infield except one guy playing short. Right. And, and he hits the ball where the third baseman would have been. And consequently, that cost him the ball game. So, um, and, and, you know, for the Giants, one trade I didn't like, speaking of the eye test and knowing a guy and looking at the past and, and algorithms and history and all that, I never liked the Matt Duffy trade for Matt Moore. No. I, I never liked it. You and I saw Matt Moore early in his career uh, before he got hurt. He's never been the same. But more than that, I didn't know Matt Moore very well. But watching him in San Francisco, you saw absolutely zero emotion one way or the other. I just saw no energy, no mound presence, no look of confidence in his face, in his body language. And I thought, Wow, he's a guy that's going to have some decent games, but if he doesn't have his curveball and doesn't have fastball command, he's in trouble. And it turns out uh, he had, he was terrible for the Giants. I remember he threw one great game. He almost had a no-hitter at Dodger Stadium, and Seager ended up getting a hit in the ninth inning with two outs. That's the best game maybe he's ever thrown. But I believe he was in Texas for a while this year, but he's never been the same. And Matt Duffy, all Matt Duffy's done since he's gone to Tampa Bay is hit 300. They had to call Eric DeAnder to see if they can get him back. Yeah, he's played third base and shortstop this year, and I was surprised when they traded him. But I knew why they got Matt Moore and why they kind of panicked because the Dodgers that year were having trouble with left-handed pitching. They were awful. And so they got as many lefties as they could, and they they needed a left-handed starter to go with Bumgarner. They traded for him, and boom, it it didn't work out. And getting Samarja, I never understood – Signing Samarja with all the health problems he's had and mechanical problems he's had. It was had. pressing. It was pressing to try to keep that window of opportunity, and you know it, it's insatiable. You you know what it's like in Boston. Once they started winning, it's insatiable. Everybody wants to win. I mean, listen, if you're a Boston Red Sox fan as a kid, you never knew what a victory was like. Now that you've got a couple of World Series rings in the cabinet, you expect them to come all the time. Giants fans were maligned, beleaguered all those years watching Garvey and and, yeah. and Say and Lopes and all those great sure. players, and you have Johnny Lamaster, and then finally you win three World Series. You think, oh, it should happen all the time. That's why I um, – uh, who was it? Harold Reynolds? Harold Reynolds told me this once, and I'll never forget it, Skip. Uh, 2008 World Series – I got the Mohawk. I've told people on that the podcast when the Rays went to the World Series were in Philadelphia. And I talked about, well, when we're back here next time. And HR looked at me and goes, what makes you think you'll ever be back here again? Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah, he's right. It's, it's hard to win. Yeah. Absolutely I mean, right. Yeah, I mean, look at the Cubs. I mean, finally won after, what was it, uh, 1906 right. or whatever 19, it was. Yeah, and, and, and again, Cubs fans expect that to happen every year. 
Right. And look at the Dodgers. I mean, it's been since 1988 since they won the World Series. They came close last year, but now, you know, the yeah, question is they, the, the expectations will overtake you. And if you yeah. let the pressure get to you and you and you're not disciplined, that's what happens. Yeah. I mean, the question is, can they repeat it? I'm just curious. My final point on the Giants moves when they do hire the analytics people they're going to hire is does that make Brandon Crawford a platoon player because he doesn't hit lefties? I mean, right. there's been a year where he did hit lefties, but this year I don't think has been one of them. Brandon Belt, when he doesn't hit certain lefties, are they going to are they going to say, well, we have to platoon him now? Right, and, and that's you know, where that big book comes down, and you have to be able to have the eyeball test to, to work through all that. Exactly. All right, Skip, that's going to do it for this podcast. Don't worry, folks. During the playoffs, Kevin and I will have plenty of podcasts to walk you through all the way to the World Series. If you want to find Kevin, you can on Twitter, and he'll answer your tweets. Kevin Kennedy, MLB. Mine is RBI Rich. Until next time, this is America's Best Baseball Podcast. Thanks for joining us for America's Best Baseball Podcast. Our podcast was produced by Braden Suppernant. Find us on Facebook at America's Best Baseball Podcast. You can find Kevin at Kevin Kennedy MLB on Twitter, and you can find Rich on Twitter at RBI Rich. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.